may be in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. I am going to read this passage for us and then pray. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Diacopolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Father, we ask this morning that You would be gracious to us and reveal Your Word. That You would speak to us through Your Word and by the power of Your Spirit, You would transform us from one degree of glory to the next. Would You help us this morning and protect us? Father, would You please, if there are those here, Your children, who are weary and in need of encouragement, would You encourage them? If there are those who have backslidden and need to be convicted by Your Spirit, would You convict them? And if there are those whose hearts are hard and blind and have not seen the great light, would You please reveal Yourself to them today? We pray this in Your Son Jesus' name. Amen.
there was a Jewish young scholar of the time. He was an up-and-coming rising star. He had everything that you could possibly imagine to be an up-and-coming rising religious leader. He had the skill set of intelligence, the zealousness of the greatest zealots. He was dedicated to his heritage. He was young and zealous. He knew the law of God like the back of his hand. He explained it as well as he possibly could. The older religious leader saw this younger religious leader have the talent and tenacity to climb up the ranks quickly. There was a problem, though, with this young Jewish religious leader, and that was although he thought that he was enlightened and that he had seen the great light, in fact, he was blind and darkened to it. You could compare it to as if he was walking in a dark cave the opposite way, seeing the reflection of a faint light that was coming from the other way. He was walking deeper into the cave, and it was getting darker by every step. At one point, this young Jewish religious leader, him and a couple of his buddies, were walking down a road to the next town that they were Going to, and he was met with this great and powerful burst of light. He heard crying out from the sky, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This light that Saul had seen was so bright it knocked him to the ground and it caused him to be blind for a few days until one of the disciples came. From that point forward, when Saul saw the light, he was no longer called Saul, but Paul. And he was not zealous anymore to perfectly live by the law in every single way. He was zealous to make Jesus known. You see, Paul had this ministry model in his mind of what it looked like to worship God. If we just live according to the law as perfectly as possible and worship the one and true God, then we can have access and enter into the kingdom of heaven. Paul's ministry model was skewed, but after that, his model of ministry changed and it became all about Jesus. It became all about spreading this light that he had himself seen. It was about bearing witness and testimony you see this morning here's what Matthew is doing at the end of chapter 4 is he's laying out for us a summary or an overview of what the ministry model of Jesus would be so if you're a note taker here it is what this sermon or what this passage teaches us is what Jesus's ministry model was We'll see this in three different particular ways. Before I give these three ways, I just want to explain this text to us, give a summary of it, as Jesus is once again prophesied about as this great light that comes on the scene. 
The great light has dawned. It has come to push back the darkness. It is a prophetic fulfillment from Isaiah 9. That the one who was to be the Messiah would light the way. He would be a great light. And so we have the bedrock for the ministry model of Jesus to be that light. But that's not it. As we see, then Jesus goes after that and calls four different brothers. Not brothers altogether, but two different sets of brothers. He calls them to follow Him. And He calls them to be fishers of men. But within that, I think one important thing that we can't fail to miss here is that Jesus says that He will make them into fishers of men. Not that they would immediately become fishers of men. And this is important because we see at the end of chapter 4, Jesus then carrying out His ministry, which we could simplify saying it is a ministry of word and a ministry of deed. As Jesus goes around to the synagogues in Galilee teaching and explaining what the kingdom of heaven is like and goes around Galilee to different places proclaiming or evangelizing. Here it says preaching what the kingdom of heaven is like. Calling people into the kingdom of heaven. And we see that He serves all people who come to Him and heals them from any sort of Sickness. So, three things that we will see this morning is that the great light illuminates. The great light illuminates. The second thing that we're going to see is that the great light is attractive. And the third thing that we will see is the great light is seen. Which makes sense, right? So, let's look at this first part. The great light illuminates. As we come to the beginning of our passage, we read, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Nephetali. Jesus waited until John the Baptist was Arrested. There wouldn't be any overlap of ministry here. You see, John was to be the one to prepare the way for Jesus. And John has done his job. He has prepared the way. In John chapter 1, we see that he has come to testify and bear witness to the light. Not that John the Baptist is light, but he's come to point to the light. And a couple of verses earlier, we've seen this. That Jesus is the one that John has come to bear testimony about. And now that John is arrested, Jesus sees fit to go to Galilee to start His ministry. But Matthew helps us out here and points us to a prophecy. How is Jesus supposed to, or what is Jesus' ministry supposed to consist of? Well, the The prophecy in Isaiah would be fulfilled that the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephetali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Jesus has come to be this light. 
When we think about light, we might think of something where we just look at a light bulb. But let's ask the question, what is light? Light illuminates. Light brings warmth. Jesus comes onto the scene here as if you're in a dark room and you open up the door for the other side to be lit up with a light and the darkness of that room is invaded with light. This is what Jesus has come to fulfill. And not only has has He come to fulfill to be the, the light, He has come to do it in one of the most darkest places in the nation. Galilee. This is where Jesus was to start His ministry in the darkest area. You would think that if Jesus wanted to make progress in His ministry, would He not go to the most influential of places to gain the most influential people to be on His side to have the most influential and successful ministry? We see the heart of Jesus right away as He goes to the darkest of places places. Right here, we are told that it is the shadow of death. That is how dark the place is that Jesus has gone. Galilee was the furthest from Jerusalem. Not only was Galilee the furthest from Jerusalem, but on the outside of Galilee, it was surrounded by Gentile nations. And yet, we see that this great light is to go to this Galilean, Gentile-filled area. But how can we trust that Jesus is the great light? Well, as I referenced earlier, if you were to just read the first 10 to 12 verses in John chapter 1, you would see that John the Apostle says that John the Baptist came to testify about the light. Jesus Himself later in John would say, I am the light of the world. So what does the ministry model of Jesus look like? Well, at the very foundation, it looks like lighting this world up like a firecracker on 4th of July. Jesus has come to invade the darkness, which leads me to ask my second question. What is this darkness that we are being told about? We've seen a few times in the Old Testament where God prevented any type of light shining down on a specific area. Is it that this particular thing was happening in Galilee? Well, no. What we are told here is, and what we see is that this darkness is referred to our sin. Our sin darkens us from the light. Our sin causes this world to be dark. Our sin causes us to walk around as if we are reaching out for a light switch. We cannot see. We are the ones who are dark. The the people whom this prophetic fulfillment is about is about those who are living in sin. Those who cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Those who are just putting their arms out, looking for anything to lean up against. And Jesus has come to bring this illumination. He has come to reveal sin. He has come to heal sin. This is the bedrock of Jesus' ministry. 
And do we not see Jesus calling us to the same thing that was prophesied about him? Jesus, it's said right here, would be this light to light up the darkness. And then what does Jesus tell his disciples to do? Be a light. Don't hide your light underneath a basket. Be a, a city shining brightly on a hill. You see, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you too have been called to the ministry model of Jesus Christ to be this light to invade the darkness. But how does this happen? Well, we move on to the second point. If the ministry model of Jesus is to be a great illuminator, it also is to be a great light that attracts people. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, we're in verse 18, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fisher of men. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Notice how Jesus is the one who goes to these brothers and calls them. And there was something about this calling from Jesus that wooed them to Him. That attracted them to Him. Once again, 1 John is helpful we see Jesus has already had a couple of interactions with these disciples, or soon-to-be disciples. But nonetheless, what we see is Jesus going out of His way to call Simon, Andrew, James, and John. We see that these are fishermen. And we see Jesus' call to follow him. Right above this in verse 17, we get a clear picture that Jesus had been calling people to repent because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He was calling them to turn from themselves, from their sin, from their Jewish nationalistic identity and turn to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so as Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, he sees these fishermen. Now, if you don't know this, first century fishermen weren't the most educated people. And Galilee wasn't the most sophisticated society. Let me say this because when you say uneducated, there is this thought that uneducated means dumb, which isn't the case. 
The disciples were not dumb people. They were not simple people. Being uneducated doesn't mean that you are dumb. But we see Jesus going to fishermen of all people. We see Him going to fishermen as they are in the midst of doing their job. And we see as He calls Simon, who would be later called Peter, and Andrew, His brother, as He calls them, there is this effectual loving that bursts from their hearts and they immediately, it says, follow Him. They immediately come back. They left their nets and followed Him. They put all of their livelihood down, their money makers down, and they said, we are going to follow You, Jesus. And we see the same thing happen with the other two brothers, James and John, but this time we get a glimpse that they're in a family business. Look, first century Jewish person did not have the American dream embedded into their hearts like we do. We're leaving your father and mother to go and start your own business or do your own thing. That was unthinkable. They were giving up everything, and yet when Jesus had called them, while they were mending their nets with their father, they immediately once again left their boat and their father and followed him. They followed Him to be fishers of men. So the question begs, are you and I called to be fishers of men? And the answer is yes. Right here, what Jesus is doing is calling His first disciples. What it means to be a fisher of men is to just be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Being a fisher of men means being a disciple who actually goes and makes disciples. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ means you follow Jesus and you help other people follow Jesus. And we get the picture at the end of this book in chapter 8 as Jesus commissions His disciples. Everything that I've just taught you, 12 or 11, go and now do the same thing. Baptize people. Teach them everything that I've taught you to observe. But oftentimes, we as disciples of Jesus find this overwhelming. We find this call to make disciples overwhelming for a few reasons. The first reason that we find making disciples overwhelming is because people are messy. People are sinful. And people hurt our feelings. And as soon as there's a whiff of accountability, it turns into, well, you shouldn't judge me. Only God's supposed to judge me. There's a risk-reward that goes on when it comes to discipleship. You could be sinned against. You could be let down. You could be hurt. And yet, on the same hand, when we think about that, what we fail to project is the reality that we too are sinners. And we too have people that find it hard to love us. 
And yet, there is no wiggle room. There's no at the book back of this book. Right here, an asterisk that says, everyone is supposed to disciple except me. But here's what I said earlier that we cannot miss is Jesus' words when he says, I will make you into fishers of men. These disciples right here weren't expected to be fishers of men as soon as they stepped off of the boat and started following Jesus. This happened over a, a period of three years of being made into fishers of men. And, and these fishermen failed miserably within those three years. At the end of Jesus' life, all of these people who were being made into fishers of men would run from Jesus. We have one right here who would deny Jesus. We have another who, when Jesus would come back to life, would doubt Jesus and would only trust him until he could stick his finger into his side. Jesus is making them into fishers of men, and so it is with you and I, but this is the reality. If we are not discipling and being discipled, then we cannot be made into fishers of men. You cannot by yourself make yourself into fishers of men. This is why we see Jesus taking a group of people and teaching a group of people of what it looks like to be disciples. And so here's, I guess, what I just want to ask us before we move on. What ministry model are you following? So we see that the model of ministry of Jesus is that He's come to illuminate, He's come to attract by calling people to follow Him. What type of model of ministry are you following? Are we as a church following? Are we following the ministry model of Jesus or of the current times of the church? There's a popular ministry model of the current times of the church which says, why don't you just come on Sundays? Consume as much as you possibly can. Leave. Go home. Never actually then pour what you've learned out to somebody else and then rinse and repeat every single week. What ministry model are you following? What ministry model we as a church are following? So if this is the case that we are to be followers of Jesus, what are we supposed to follow and do then? And, and this is what I believe Matthew is doing here as he's showing us this last little bit in 23-25. through 25. That the, this great light is to shine or is to be seen. This great light is to be seen. And he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great 
Crowds followed him from Galilee to the Diapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So we see right away he went throughout all Galilee teaching in the synagogues. He explained from the Scriptures what the kingdom of heaven would be like who the Messiah was and what the Messiah was supposed to look like. We, we get a picture of this in one of the, the synagogues that t- Jesus goes to and opens up and reads from the scroll, reads from Isaiah and explains the suffering servant, explains what the Messiah was to look like. So he goes and he teaches on the kingdom of heaven. He goes and he proclaims or evangelizes what the kingdom of heaven is like. He calls people into repentance. And then we see that he, as people are flocking to him to be healed, he serves them. We see the, the clear commandment that we also are given to love in word and deed. To shine in word and deed. This was Jesus' ministry. And I'm afraid because everything is so polarized right now in the church, we are starting to separate these two. If there's any hint over here that you tend to lean more of serving or are actively involved in loving or trying to care for poor people or you speak out on racism or something like that, you get labeled a social justice woke warrior. On the other hand, I'm afraid that over here, if you say we need to preach the gospel and you have this this immense evangelistic heart and teaching heart, you get from the other side, well, you don't really love your neighbor then. And yet we see clearly in Jesus' ministry, it was both word and deed. Ministry is to be done through word, through deed. We are as Christians to teach, to know the Scriptures. We are to proclaim the beauty of the the kingdom of heaven and the, the King Himself. And we are to show that through our works that we believe that. Jesus here does not turn one afflicted person, one suffering person away. Jesus does not shy away from teaching and proclaiming in any chance that He gets. His ministry is one of word and deed. Is this how you view your role as a disciple? One of word, one of deed. The two are not divorced. The two are happily married. Far too often we want to divorce them because one or the other makes us uncomfortable. I think what's incredible about the end of this passage is we see the heart of Jesus of saying, I need to do this, and I need to do this now. He goes and teaches in any synagogue that allows him to. And he proclaims the gospel anywhere he can. And he serves and heals everybody. There's not one thing here that Jesus was not able to heal. If I can tell a quick story, 
There were two Jewish men during the time of Jesus' ministry who had different deformities. One was starting to lose his eyesight. Let's say he was starting to develop cataracts. And the other one was starting to lose all feeling in his leg. He had a, a problem. He had a huge wound. And the guy who was struggling to see went to Jesus and was healed and went back to his friend and said, you have to check out this physician. You've got to come and check him out. He's healing everybody and anybody. Come to him. Every and any disease that you could possibly think of, whether it is a, a demon-possessed person or, or somebody who can't walk or somebody who can't see, I can see now. I, I testify to his greatness. Come and check out this physician. And the other guy looks at his friend and he says, I don't know. I've got a really good physician that I've been seeing for the past five years and he really thinks that we're on to something. And, and really, he can heal anything? That kind of seems a little suspect. I mean, y you weren't as far gone as me. I can hardly feel my leg and I'm just I'm kicking the dogs away because they're trying to lick this wound that has now started to happen. And, and his friend looks at him and says, he can heal it. You just have to come to him. You have to come to him. He can heal it. And, and the guy said, I, 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 I don't know. And his friend said, look, if he doesn't, then I will take you to your next five appointments. I'll carry you there so that way you don't have to walk. I'll be with you night and day to get the dogs away. And the friend said, okay, let's, let's go and see. Still being a little suspect about this man who could heal, and he comes up to Jesus, and Jesus says, what is it that you need? And the guy with the bum leg says, well, I, I've been told that you're this somehow great physician that can heal all of these different things, but I'm just kind of having a hard time believing it. And Jesus asked him, well, why? Well, it just seems too good to be true. I'm being honest. I've dealt with this bum leg now for five years. I want to believe. Can you help me believe? And Jesus looks at him with a smile and says, Go, you have been healed. Brothers and sisters, we are sin-sick sinners pointing sin-sick sinners where to be healed. And if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, let me just encourage you with this. He is a great physician who can heal all sin. Maybe you're thinking right now, but if Jesus really knew my track record and what I did, I would be seen as unforgivable. No. He can forgive it. Maybe... You're sitting here thinking to yourself, I'm too far gone, I'm too far dead. There's no way that Jesus could forgive me. There is more mercy in Him than sin in you. If you come to Him and believe, you will be healed from all your sin.
He takes your sin. He bears it. And in doing so, He gives you His righteousness to live free. We are sin-sick people pointing sin-sick people where to find healing. This is the ministry model of Jesus to be this great light that goes out and shows people that the kingdom of God has come to restore you, has come to heal you, has come to make all of the wrong things right once again. If you don't mind, if I could conclude with just one more story. As I was preparing for this, I, I read it. There was a seacoast in some land. It didn't say what land it was, but there was a seacoast. And off this seacoast, about two miles off, there were these jagged rocks. At night, you couldn't see the jagged rocks, and this area ended up becoming known as a graveyard because it had taken the lives of so many people in so many boats. During the daytime, you could see it clearly, but at night, you, there was no warning, and you could not see it. And there was a group of sailors whose lives were almost taken from this jagged rock off of the seacoast. They survived it and they talked amongst themselves and they said, what a noble task it would be if, it, if we set up a little shack on the side of the seacoast and we patrolled the waters day and night or, or night. And so that's what they did. They, they built a little shack with the little money they had and they bought themselves a boat and every night they would, they would they would uh, go out and they would start patrolling back and forth right where these jagged rocks were. And they would call out, Are you out there? Do you need saving? Are you perishing right now? Can we help you? We're here to save you if you need saving. We have a room. We have a boat. Are you perishing? And they would go back and forth every night saving as many people as possible. And as they started to save more people, more people wanted in on this. And so they started training more people to go out further lengths. And as more people started to be saved, they decided, well, this little shack and these cots just aren't a great place for these people to, to really lay down and get some rest during the day. So, so let's go ahead and start taking an offering and let's start building something better that's more comfortable, that's more reasonable, that, that would be able to seat more people and, and be able to comfort more people, that we would be able to have better food. And slowly over time, what started to happen is they started to focus less on going out and saving people and more about turning this little shack into a club. After years, this little club, this little shack, sorry, turned into a magnificent club where the men would come and drink whiskey and smoke cigars and talk about the game and the women would come and drink wine and talk about their husbands. And at one point, it got to where the members said of this club, well, let's really not focus on the saving aspect anymore. 
let's just focus on if anybody wants to come from being saved to our club, they can come. And there is a small minority that still wanted to go and save people. And so the, the members of the club, they had a vote. And the vote was that they would no longer focus on saving people. But the small minority had the blessing to go down the road. And what the small minority did is they went down the road. They built a little shack and they patrolled this coast up and down. And after a while, once again, it turned into this club. I wonder how many of our churches have turned into this club. I wonder, community church, if our church has turned into this club. How zealous are we at first to patrol the waters, going back and forth, calling out? Are you perishing? Do you need saving? And how easy does it become to start focusing on side conversations like carpet or paint or music or whatever? You and I have been called to be disciples who make disciples, and part of that means that we go out, we patrol the waters, and we tell sin-sick people where they can find healing for their souls. So if I could leave with an encouragement. You don't do this alone. When Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and make disciples, to continue on the legacy of his ministry, he gives us the most promising and encouraging saying ever. I will be with you. Jesus is with you. So we might be afraid. We might be timid. We might not know everything. We might not be the most or best communicators. But Jesus is with you. And that's more important than any type of gifting. We are called to obey the commandment and trust that Jesus is with us. Let's pray.